Something is bubbling among women today. Women crave honest stories that entertain, motivate, and move them. Women want reinforcement that they are not alone in feeling the way that they do and that they can feel good about their prospects. Stories and Strategies for Women podcast will share riveting stories about amazing women. I'm your host, Claudine Walk. A good story well told is powerful. A good story can motivate. A good story can inspire action. We are excited to welcome a new sponsor. Thriftbooks.com is a cool way for you to buy your favorite books. If you're like me, you want a book in your hands when you read, or maybe you simply want to buy your favorite books to place on your shelf, but you don't want to pay full price. Thriftbooks has the answer. Search used books at their online site, thriftbooks.com. Books are reasonably priced, plus each purchase adds credits to your account, which you can apply to future purchases in their Reading Rewards program. You may even have enough credit for a free book. The nicest part is that you don't have to keep track. Thriftbooks keeps track for you and lets you know right at the point of purchase that credits are available for your use to apply on the spot. There's a link to thriftbooks.com in the show notes. Or click the ad on my website, ClaudineWalk.com. Welcome to Stories and Strategies for Women. I'm your host, Claudine Walk. With us today is Leah Geller. Leah is an author and the author of The Truth and Other Hidden Things. She's got another book, too, that I'm going to ask her about. But this particular book was hilarious. It's funny. And the main character, Bells, totally cracked me up. And the whole time I was reading it, I was thinking, oh, God, don't do it. Don't do it. And then she did it. And, I, and I'm ahead of the audience here. Leah, thank you so much for being with us. And I'm wondering if you can ex- describe how you describe your book. How I describe my book. Um, it's a little bit gossip girly if gossip girl were, you know, 40-something year old mothers, uh, year old mothers, you know, in the Hudson Valley region of New York. Um, anonymous blogging, bad behavior, bad, bad you know, backbiting, um, overzealous parenting. Um, that those are kind of the major themes of the book. That's awesome. Okay, and like we mentioned, it, it is your second book, yes. and um, we can find Leia at leiageller.com, By the way, that is her website. There were so many uh, truisms in the book, and especially mom truisms. And it's kind of a touchy subject for moms, I think, because being honest is not always uh, what we like to do. Sometimes we like to, to, to put it out there that everything's perfect, and it's, it, it's not always perfect. So I'm wondering how that was received. How's the book doing? I mean, I think people are receiving that part of it well. You know, it's, it's two things. One is being honest about ourselves as parents and our own failings. And I think... I actually think we're at a point where we can do that now. Um, you know, when I first started to blog and I was writing about my own failings as a parent, I feel like it was that was it was a little bit less popular to talk about. You know, more, I think the web was more a place to like um, put all of the perfect mothers up there and their perfect children and the pictures. And I think, I think whether it was COVID or just reality sort of hit like. I do think the hot mess mom has kind of taken over and people are, I think this company now for those of us who dropped the ball, <laughs> what I think that people are less honest about is their children. And she is very honest about her kids. She has two average students. End of story. Lovely children, many talents, nothing that's going to get them in the Olympics or in an orchestra and average students. 
And she's very honest about it. And she doesn't see why she should have to do the things that mothers do if it's not really going to do anything for her children, like enrichment and all these other things and Suzuki violin and forced community service when it's not with the kids, all the things that people do today with, we all know why everybody's doing it for one goal when she knows it's not a reality for her kids anyway. Right. So why make them miserable? Exactly. Well, what is the goal? I think it's college. I mean, at least in in the community that she lives in and the communities many of us live in, we're all doing these things. And, you know, we claim to be doing it for the, you know, oh, it's so good for the child to be well-rounded. I don't think there's such a thing as a well-rounded teenager. By definition, you're not supposed to be well-rounded at that age. You're supposed to be uneven and passionate and not well-rounded. But we've convinced ourselves that this is what they need to do to get into college. And now everybody's an athlete. I mean, when we were kids, if you weren't sporty, you didn't have to become an athlete. Nobody had to play a sport. If I didn't, no one was forcing me to play a sport. Thank God. <laughs> um, if you weren't musical, you didn't have to play an instrument. Um, and so, but today, everyone's doing all these things. And I think people are not honest about their children. Like my child is just, this is my child. This is, these are the things she's good at. She should try things that she's not good at. But realistically, to do some of these things, unless you're totally honest about it, I guess, and you're saying, you know, this is why, but I think she's very honest about her kids. And I think that is what's refreshing about her. I agree completely. And I think that was one of the reasons that I kept reading, because when you started talking about, other than the story was fantastic, but when you started talking about the uh, college entrance exams and all of the stress and the stress of the kids and the stress of the parents, and I, I lived through that with my three kids. And by the time I got to my third, I, I, I did need therapy. And the fact that the parents in the book were going to therapy, I thought, oh, gosh, that is so true. We needed that. You needed that. And it's like, right. And she and she's watching these women do support groups for college when they're in their 40s. And she's like, wait, haven't you been to college? She's like, no, we're in support for our children applying to college. And she's like, well, something's wrong with this model. Yeah, totally, totally. And then, and, and we know, you know, from the headlines that there are certain moms who really went overboard, Aunt Becky, but I'm not, I'm just saying, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, absolutely insane. But you, I think there's, there's such a connection between moms and their kids, and the, the it's a reflection on them, they think. Yeah. And it's often the moms and the dads who feel like they didn't get what they wanted, who are the most zealous for their children. Yeah. I mean, they want the best for them and they want an experience that they didn't have. Right. But is it always a healthy thing? Yeah. How necessary. Like think about the happiest people, you know, exactly. Or even the most successful people, you know, I don't know. I mean, and I think because she comes from that world and because her husband comes from that world, she sees that like they had all these fancy colleges and didn't do any of them, either of them any good in the end. So, and, you know, her husband worked for, theoretically worked for a fancy college in the beginning of the book, and he doesn't get tenure, and that's why they move. And she's, and, you know, she sees that there's more to it than that. Absolutely. Yeah. And you keep a lightheartedness in the book, and there are right. certain aspects to it. When I, one section, um, when they had to move, and she, she sees that he's spending money in a certain area, and I was thinking, oh, is she going to go gone girl here? Like, is she going to be, you know, upset with the husband, or, you know, where's this going to go? And you managed to keep it, it was serious, and what, what you know, I don't want to give anything away, but what, what Bells kind of gets into is serious, and yet right. you managed to keep it lighthearted. Oh, well, I mean, that was the goal. Um, you know, I mean, there's always, there's always 
I mean, there's always a lighthearted route through most situations. Yeah. I mean, it helps, right? If there is one. Yeah, totally. For totally. sure. And in this, and I, we should we should say that in the very beginning of the book, Bells finds out that she's pregnant. So she's got these kids. Right. So she's a 40-something with two, um, one teen, one tween. And she acc- she finds out that she's accidentally pregnant, that her IUD has failed. No, I, I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, it is a thing. I mean, I've, I, I, it's happened to people I know. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. How can we, oh boy, that's a whole nother podcast how do we yeah, avoid that other topic yikes okay so this was your second book and your first book was titled trophy life can you tell us i haven't read that but it's on my list now so that book was about a trophy wife in santa monica whose husband disappears with all of her money and she is forced to move to new york to the bronx and teach at a boarding school middle school for boys who've been thrown out of other schools with her one-year-old in tow so she becomes this unlikely middle school teacher for these wayward kids and she's sort of wayward herself. And um, yeah, it was a fun book to write. That's awesome. And that book did well? Yes, it did. It was really, it really did. And um, it was my first book and my first try at this. So it was very encouraging. Oh, I can't wait to ask you about your publishing experience. But yes. I'm noticing a theme with your books in that women are going through a major change. Yes. And, and um, yeah, tell me I what mean, you think about that. I mean, that's where the interesting stuff is, I think. Right. I, I think, I mean, things that happen to us, I think it's always just when our backs are against the wall um, that the most interesting things happen to us. Uh, things that are out of our circum- out of our control, things that our husbands do, things that our children are going through, like not necessarily mistakes that we make, but things that happen to the people around us and how we have to respond to those things. Um, I don't, to me, that's interesting. And, um, and women's stories and women in general are the things I like to read about. Well, we have that in common for sure. Yeah. So do, yeah. you, do you feel a change is good? In general, yes. Yeah. I feel like all change is good. Like I'm always, you know, I've moved a lot in my life. I've changed careers. I've changed things. And I'm always, you know, a friend of mine said, I, I would ask you if I should move, but you always vote in favor of the move. And I think I do. I'm always like change. Change is good. Yep. I totally agree. And I, I like that you bring that theme through your books. Yes. Because it can be change. scary. Oh, it is scary. It usually is. But um Nothing ever happens if you just stay the same. So true, so true. Okay, so back to the the first or this this last book, the truth and other hidden things. Another thing that I really loved about the book was the relationships that Bell's had with her her friends back home, her friends in her new development, and her her sister in laws and her mother in law especially. Yeah, the mother-in-law is my favorite. Yeah? But now, was she designed after anyone that you know? She wasn't. You know, I just wanted to kind of turn the mother-in-law on her head. Like, right away, she's annoying. And you're like, oh, this is going to be a book about a mother-in-law who's terrible. But she's not. She's surprising in many ways. And she shows up. And so I just thought that there was a lot to mind there in that relationship, especially for Bells, who has a difficult relationship with her own mother. Yes. Yes, and that was interesting. That was very interesting, too. One of the things that Vivian said, I'm just going to pull out this quote when she talked to Bells, and we won't tell you why. You have to read the book. But uh, Vivian says, the mother-in-law says, I let myself get squeezed out of the picture. And she's giving her advice. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty telling. That's pretty telling. I mean, think about all the pictures that we take as women and moms that we're not in. Partly because we like to take pictures and have them, mostly because we hate the way we look in them. <laughs> Right. It's so true. Uh, 
Yeah. It's so true. And she let herself be get squeezed out of her family picture. And she just was this, you know, it was all about her husband and her sons. And when her husband passed away and her sons became adults, she didn't know what was there for her. Absolutely. Yeah. And she was almost, I don't know, it seemed to me sharing with Bells and also kind of giving her a little piece of advice, a cautionary tale. A warning. Yeah, t- absolutely. Yep. And and another, uh, you mentioned Belle's mom and her, her relationship with her mom. And there was another quote that I pulled uh, that, that really resonated with me. Even if their mothers disapproved and told them to make sure to build lives for themselves. And to me, that was the theme of the working mom and the stay-at-home mom and how both struggle because Bell's really did choose that path to be the stay-at-home mom. Right. I mean, I many of the, the people that I went to college with had moms like Bell's mom who had these very good, strong, powerful second careers, sometimes after a divorce, sometimes not. And they were difficult mothers in some ways because they had a lot of expectation for their daughters. I mean, they were very supportive in many ways, and they never. But they also had a way they thought that women should live. Um, and um, as great as it is to be the daughter of a feminist, as Bell's is, um, when she made choices that her mother disapproved of, her mother let her know. And it feels crappy to have your mother disapprove of your choices, especially if they're yours and you want to make them. And I think having like those two, you know, the angel and the devil on her shoulder, she's got her mother-in-law in one way saying, you're, you know, your husband's career is your own. And her mother saying, your husband, you're treating your husband's infantilized. He's not a child. You should have your own life. Go back to work. I, all she hears is disapproval. Right. Especially when she got pregnant, right? She was oh, scared uh, to, death to tell her mom. <laughs> right. One mother thought it was unbecoming and the other thought it was a giant mistake. Yeah. Yeah. And it just it, totally, uh, what a whopper to start a book with, which is what you yeah. want, right? Want, yeah. You got to get the reader involved. So, and the other, the other thing you do in the book is you talk so honestly, as we mentioned before, about being a mother and being a woman and and in your funny with it too. I laughed out loud when I read about the um, the peplum blouses. Oh God. You know, I love peplum blouses. I wish they were still in style. I recognize they're out of style, but I love them. Have you, yeah, I mean, that peplum came and went in a very big way. <laughs> well, they're telling us now skinny jeans are out, which is really disappointing yeah. because, you know, I got to buy a whole new wardrobe. Not for me. I never really loved that skinny no. jean. It was never comfortable. You prefer the boot cut? I mean, I think that I never loved jeans. And just in general, I just found them uncomfortable and stiff and that gave me a stomach ache. And I, at some point in the pandemic, I tried all my jeans on, which I don't wear. And when none of them fit, I cut them all up into little pieces because we were running out of paper towel and nobody was delivering it. I made the mistake of trying on a pair of white jeans in the middle of winter. Oh, which you did it. And I think in, in a moment of despair, I shred. I, I now own no jeans. Oh, that's never, and I never liked them to begin with, and I don't miss them. Good for you. Good for yes. you. So, but I'm wondering how you said that earlier in the interview that it was received well with women. But I think there there are some women women out there who might be thinking, "Oh, you're you're telling our secrets." You know, do you get any haters? I often get haters of a certain type, not just in the books, but sometimes when I'm blogging and, oh, she mustn't like her children very much. She's always locking herself in a room. Um, she, I, I wrote about Friday night dinners in my house and how awful they are. And some, I go, you know, some woman said, oh, she must hate her children. And it's just, so there always is an element of like, stop complaining and you mustn't love your children. And I, I get that. Um, I don't think anyone's minding that I'm exposing their secrets so much. I think it's more just, um, 
Well, that's not, I mean, I suppose there's also the women who feel like they're the subject of some of the scorn in the book, like the overcompetitive mothers. They definitely steer clear of me now. Is that right? I mean, they always did. <laughs> um, but now they really do. Well, you call them in the book, you call them the extra moms because they oh, do, the they do extras. Yeah, they do. And I, oh God, I just laughed out loud through the whole book, Leia. I really did. I'm so glad. That makes me so happy. I Those just, extra moms, though, who decorate right? the school and bake the things. Oh, and, and the judgment. And that and, and it always comes down to the judgment. And, and I, I, it reminded me of something that happened when my youngest was in grade school. And they didn't want to have um, honors math. And then they called it um, plus math. And I remember one of my little daughters who, who wasn't in plus math, but, but it was very, very smart, said, well, does that mean the rest of us are all in minus math? Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. Just take peace with your minus status. Exactly. I exactly. mean, I think the thing about Bells is that she's not really like a slacker mom. She's no. consciously choosing to opt out. She's not lazy. Mm-mm. She no. just doesn't have, she hasn't bought into it. Yes. And she just so desperately wants something for herself. And what mother doesn't feel that way? Right. Well, that's when she starts to blog and she starts to find her voice and recognition and identity. It's hard to it's hard to shut that off even when you're making mistakes. And that was part of the the heartbreak for me was just that she couldn't share that great news with her family, you know, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I remember one time um, with my with you, you just get so caught up in everyone else's lives. And I was talking to my girlfriends and we were having lunch at a diner, you know, like sex in the city. You know, we were having that brunch and I just started crying and they said, what's the matter? And I said, well, this weekend coming up, we're going to celebrate this for my husband and this for my daughter and this for my son. And I have nothing to celebrate. I know. Yeah. I think we often find ourselves in that position and it's yeah, it's what we do with it and how we carve something out for ourselves. Yeah. Speaking of, so you're a writer. Now, yes. Would you mind sharing how that came about? Um, so I used to be a lawyer. And um, wow. I, I was a blogger. <laughs> I was, And I would blog about the kids. And I was doing this even as a lawyer. I was working part time and I was working from home. And I had a lot of little kids at home. And I um, was writing about them. And then... Um, Someone said to me, actually, we moved, we moved from the West Coast to the East Coast, and someone who I've never met who's read my blog said, you know, I see that you're in New York now, and I don't know if you ever thought about it, but a friend of mine is teaching a novel writing workshop at Sarah Lawrence College, which is not far from my house in the Bronx. And I said, oh. So I kind of thought, well, my youngest had just started kindergarten. Yep. So after many years of always having somebody at home all day, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh. Maybe I am interested. And I did have a couple of my two older boys were in middle school at the time. And I was thinking, you know, I had all these ideas about writing about middle school boys because, I don't know, there's something very appealing to me about that age and how unloved and unvalued they are, but how vulnerable and interesting that time is, especially as a parent and a teacher. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll... So I wandered into Sarah Lawrence and I took a workshop and I wrote this book there. Good for you. That was my first book, which I sold. Yeah, so... I had been writing for a long time and and blogging was great because it got me used to putting my words out there um, and other people reading them, which is, you know, the scariest thing for writers. And it just the mechanics of writing, too, and just language and being sparse and sort of, you know, it's a different skill, but it was really great training for me. Um, And that's how I started. That's awesome. And was it difficult? Like, can you tell us your your publishing journey? Um, So I was... um, 
I, it, yeah, I wrote the book in a year and then I showed it to an agent or two and then got some advice and had to rewrite the book. So it took me a second <laughs> year to rewrite it. And then I was starting to show it around and um, I sent it to Amazon Publishing unagented, but then I sent it to agents. And before I, um, before I got an agent, Amazon called me and said, we want to publish this book. Nice. Sold it unagented. And it was just very lucky. And then I got an agent for my second book. But I, I just, I just sent it wide. I let a lot of people read it before I did that. I took. I will say, you know, you can be in these writing groups with people, and everyone gives good uh, criticism. But then they give criticism about the things that aren't working. And I took everything. I took. I was never defensive, even if I was upset. Yes. Uh, and if more than one person said it, it was probably true. And I think that. You can be, and you see it in other writers, they, they, they spend that time justifying, they waste their workshops or they waste their people's time who've read it justifying why they've made the decisions they have. And at the end of the day, you have to hear everything. And there are some things you can say, actually, I'm not going to change this. I mean, I got a couple of people's advice that weren't very good, but they weren't repeated. You know, if you hear the same thing over and over again, even two, three times, you're like, oh, okay. And you you have to do something with it. I mean, I think that's just uh, that's and that's the thing that's missing a lot. I think people we get very attached to our work, we get very defensive about it, um, and we have to be willing. I think, especially as new writers, to take that criticism and do something with it. You have to be willing to make the changes. Yeah, I'm wondering what it is about your personality that allowed you to take that, you know, not take it to heart and use it constructively. I mean, I live with teenagers. <laughs> you have to be flexible. So, I mean, I also have to take a lot of criticism about, you know, being the worst dresser <laughs> and the worst cook and the worst mother. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do you know what I'm saying? I like, do. There's no food people, in the fridge. What are we going to eat? Everyone yeah. else has better snacks. Like, I hear it all day and I don't internalize it. So I think just hearing a lot of crap and not internalizing it is a skill. Um I also really wanted it. Like, I really felt like I want this so badly. And if this is what I have to do, then this is what I have to do. I felt confident enough in my uh, my writing ability, but I knew that there were things I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how you learn them. And I also wanted a book that people would buy. So if people are saying, I like this, I didn't like this, mm. then I, I don't know. I do take, I am open to criticism. I am generally okay with it and i don't know whether it's just because i've become i've taken a lot in general well there's humbleness i'm hearing there yeah Mm -hmm. probably yeah i love that yeah Yeah, and 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 i've heard this from another author who spoke about her book as well she had what she called beta readers but i think it's kind of the same same idea and she did the same thing and i like that if you've heard if you hear it more than once there it's a there's a point to it and if no one's going to read it how nice of you to think of your readers you know? Right. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, I just one thing that I do here and I don't do that much with it is, um, oh, I don't like her. Uh, my first book, I don't like her. She's her head is in the sand. I don't like bells. Mm. And I feel like I have to go a long way to explain why a woman is the way she is. And it's my job to explain to you why bells does the stupid things that she does and why she takes such risky acts. But it's not my job to make her likable. And she's not interesting if she's likable the entire time. So that's a piece of criticism that I hear a lot. And even now, um, and I think about the books I like to read. And if there's no one likable and they're all awful, it's different. But if there's a woman just making 
bad choices because she doesn't know any better or because she's something else really hurt her, then I think it's different. Um, and so that's an, in, I think women's fiction in general, you know, there's a lot of pressure on us to write books with nice women who make nice choices and end up fine in the end. And it's, you know, you, you have to, you have to find the happy, you have to find like, I guess the sweet spot, likable enough, Yes. but, it's, but, but too likable is not interesting. Right. And then and look at the success of certain books like Gone Girl, right. not a right. good right. female. Well, character. I, do, I do think I do think there's a big exception for those kinds of books. OK, I do think there's a big exception for thrillers or like girl on the train, girl in the car, girl at the window, girl right. on the bus. <laughs> women who are drinking and making bad choices or paranoid or schizophrenic, you know, women who are dilute. Like, I think there's an exception for that bad girl. She's not a reliable narrator. We don't you know. There's an exception for that. Right. I think in all other women's fiction, we still want the woman to be likable. Right. Okay. Um, and I think that it's tricky to write interesting women. Right. Right. And But you did it. You did it because there, you, I, like I said in the beginning, there, you're reading this and you're thinking, oh, gosh, if she goes there, it's not, and she went there. And there was a part of me that felt, wow, she went there. She is my hero. I love that she went there. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a part of me that, oh, God, this is not going to be good. It's not going to be good for X, this, Y, Z, one, two, three, right. you know. And and so you did it. You managed to. Yeah. But I still yeah. loved her. I still loved her. Thank you. I yeah. love her, too. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for talking to us. Oh, before I let you go, what is a post-yoga dirt smoothie? It's like one of those smoothies that has, like, cacao nibs and hemp. <laughs> And just like stuff that doesn't taste good. They don't taste good. They sound good, they but they, good. they throw yeah. as many dates in as they want. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> What's there's a particular type of date? What's it called? A mar- yeah. marjul? A particular type of date? Oh, the medjool date. Medjool. Those are very good. Are they they good? can throw a hundred of them in, yeah. but at the end of the day, it still tastes like something rolled in mud. <laughs> it's, it sure does. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay, very good. Well, you're just going to have to read the book in order to figure out what I'm talking about there. But thank you. Thank you, Leah Geller, for being with us. Her latest book, The Truth and Other Hidden Things, can be found wherever you buy books. And her website is Leah, L-E-A, Geller, G-E-L-L-E-R.com. And I'll have all that information in the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us, Leah. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk. You got it. Anytime. And I can't wait to read the other book, for sure. Okay. Thank all you. right. Take care now. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You are listening to Stories and Strategies for Women. You are listening to Stories and Strategies for Women podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. Visit me at my website, ClaudineWalk.com. Drop me a note on Instagram at ClaudineWalk. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time.